This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, what a day. Simon Briggs from The Telegraph and myself, David Law, here on The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with our good friends at The Telegraph and Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK. We all thought it was going to be about Venus and Serena Williams tonight. (laughs) It kind of was, Simon, but really, I mean, that was a bit of a damp squib after what we saw this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, that's equaled the uh, most one-sided match they've ever played in in 30 meetings, uh, 6-1, 6-2 equal Charleston 2013 so uh, I didn't expect it to be that one sided I thought Serena would have too much but she did play uh, in a way that would put the, the, the shivers up a few of the other women in the tournament I mean Venus may not be playing her best this year but the serve is still a weapon to be feared and the way that Serena returned for me that was the most impressive thing I mean she hit half a dozen clean winners off the return she was driving a lot of other balls right back at Venus's shoelaces. So the, the point was really stacked in Serena's favour from the, the first couple of shots. Um, the rhythm was outstanding. I mean, I know she, Venus gives her rhythm, doesn't she? Because Venus doesn't mix it up. I mean, it's, it's all hard and flat. She knows what, what to expect. They practice together a million, million times. So that helps. But still, you know, there's, there's normally some element of competition in these matches. So... For, for Serena to roll the way she did, then she told to Rinaldi afterwards, that's the best I've played since I came back. You know, that's a, a strong indication of how well-placed she is going into the second week. And I would agree with her as well. I mean, she was just striking the ball so cleanly, wasn't she? And I, there was still a scare, though. I mean, what was it, second or third game, she rolled her ankle. And actually, when she... I mean, it was quite one of those ones that sort of looks worse in the slow motion I think than it does in the real time that particular one I don't think it was serious but she went and took the the sock off had a look at it and you suddenly realized already her ankle is sort of mummified yeah. and then they they, they asked, added more to it so you know she was aware of I suppose potential weakness there yeah I mean she moved okay 
The one weakness that you would have picked up from today would have been the, the net game because she was very sluggish coming forward. Um, that's the only time when she was vulnerable and, and Venus multiple times was able to bring a false volley out of her or would have passed her cleanly. So that might be, if I was coaching against uh, Serena Williams, I'd be looking at that. I might be trying to play a few short balls, trying to bring her forward because... The, the, the baseline game was, was outstanding tonight and the net game perhaps a little uh, wobbly but it, it wasn't as if she needed it really the, the more they play each other the more I sort of get this real feel for, for just how awful it is for them how unco- uncomfortable the whole process is for them so there was a great VT on um, on Prime today that they'd, they'd, they'd got all that footage from when they were kids playing together and all these wonderful things that their dad was saying you know just absolutely nailed on predictions for what would happen 30 years later in their lives but you see how close they are in those pictures and and you saw it at match point there today and it's it's great that they can actually go out there and be competitive. OK, it wasn't a competitive one in terms of the results tonight. But still, you know, they really do give their all, don't they? I mean, OK, maybe there's not the sort of spite that there might be against someone else. But it's not easy. Well, there was an amusing uh, suggestion from Matt Villander who said that perhaps on top of uh, making uh, pregnant mothers protected in seedings, we should introduce a rule that sisters have to be on opposite sides of the draw. <laughs> because it really isn't beneficial for anybody. I mean, also, it's difficult for the crowd. They they don't know what to do. They don't know who to support. Um, they don't know quite how to deal with the situation. Um, and it can be a bit flat. I mean, tonight went a bit flat when it became obvious that Serena was sort of 4-1 up and, and just accelerating into the distance. And that probably would have been the case against anybody. But there wasn't that kind of... If it had been somebody else, the crowd might have got really behind the opponent, mightn't they? And they might have been really jeeing around, but they didn't quite sort of know where to go. Mind you, every seat was taken in there. It was absolutely massive crowd, wasn't it? It must have been 22,000, 23,000 people. Uh, it was fuller than I've seen it for a lot of finals. It was, yeah, it was, it was, there's nothing like these two, actually, as a show in this town, I don't think. Yeah, it's funny because it's an occasion, it's a story, like it's the greatest story in sports, John Wertheim will tell you. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue with that, but it's never a great match, is it? No, rarely. And, and, and actually, you just lose that sense of kind of being that bothered about who wins, unless you are a massive fan of one or the other. I think for the story, for us, Serena Williams is obviously the better, the better story. But, I mean, I imagine today, uh, Simon, that the story for you is Rafael Nadal and the struggles he had. Well, actually, we, we did uh, Act 3 of, uh, of um, Liargate. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, so th- this is rolling back a couple of days, so we'll go <laughs> pre-Mohamed Leani gate. We've been gate full this, uh, this tournament. And, uh, and so, go on, just give us the gist of that one. Well, really, I mean, we're rolling back three days here because, uh, you know, we lost all the British players on Wednesday, so we're having to extend the uh, stories with a... A local interest for as long as we can but uh, no it's quite fun I mean the, the, the Marcus Bagdatis was brought into the the, the story uh, that was put forward by Fernando Vadasco for why he'd been chatting away in the uh, locker room during his heat break against Andy Murray and uh, Marcos wasn't really going along with the story was he? he was actually telling us in the interview room that uh, well yes uh, Mark, uh, sorry Fernando's 
coach was there. Yeah, I mean, obviously they weren't talking about anything that shouldn't have been. No, of course not. But yes, he was there. Uh, it wasn't just me and my coach. So that just took it forward. But because Marcos had then had a pop at the officiating and quite rightly said it's not up to the players to police themselves. You know, the, they've got to be the officials on, on hand to make sure that none of this happens. And it's the US... Uh, tennis association that have to deliver their policy i mean we 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 sat here didn't we on on tuesday i think it was and we agreed that it was a good move to bring in this heat rule for the men but the men the men unused to it they need to be uh, guided because they don't have it they've never had it before it's the first so it's been cobbled together really hasn't it and and thus you have to make absolutely sure that you're doing your utmost as an organization to police it to organize it to make it clear i mean also how many players here have got the hump because they've gone off for their heat break, they've come back, uh, they've been told that they've overrun, and they g- genuinely didn't have a clue. And, and in, in the quotes of Marcus Bagdatis, he says, you know, Fernando was screaming, what, what, how long have I got? And there was no one there to tell him. Yeah. And we, we, we even spoke to Cameron Norrie, who uh, revealed that he'd come off court in his heat break against Dusan Lajevic. He hadn't gone to the locker room, he'd come to the press room, because, because when we interviewed him before the tournament, he sat there going, bloody hell, I'm so cold! <laughs> he, he, he shivered all the way through his interview and so the first thing he thought the light bulb went on in his head as soon as he said oh I'm going to go to the press room <laughs> I didn't see him it was hilarious to actually see him he'd come in and sort of sat on those tiny interview tables dripping away with his, his full kit with a red face staring in the yeah. <laughs> alright Cameron and he'd be like I'm not allowed to talk to you yeah, so. it's like, it's like give, give, us, give us a sense of what you were thinking on, the, on that break point in game 7 <laughs> now the big story really today is Rafael Nadal because that that was a heck of a match. I mean, four hours plus against Karen Hatchinov and Nadal was shown to be exercising his knee or his leg before the match in the in the sort of gym area with 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 Carlos Moore. There's, there was clearly an issue. Then he had treatment to it and he had it wrapped. He had it strapped a couple of times. He lost the first set seven five. I mean, it was it was not vintage Nadal anything like in terms of his timing he he was really struggling with finishing off rallies at the net in a way that you you rarely see and yet he still somehow managed to survive what was your read of it all yeah I mean he, he was asked by ESPN after the match about his knee and he said I, I really don't want to talk about it I'm in the middle of a tournament if you were you know organizing the odds you'd, you'd suddenly be pushing him out quite a lot further on the basis that he's not necessarily in the best of shape also what was going on with that camera in the uh, warm-up room or the gym or whatever it was i mean i'm all for behind the scenes access i'm all for knowing what's going on i'm a, I'm a, I'm a reporter but um it did seem a little bit uh, sneaky uh you know because i'm not sure rafael nadal would have been all, all that happy if he'd known he'd been being recorded it looked like somebody was controlling a remote sort of closed circuit camera well the the Australian Open I mean it, they, they have that all, all over the place don't they these sort of surveillance type cameras mm. and, and they're picking up everything and putting it out and, and it did cause one or two problems once so I remember with Roger Federer when he was shown to be sort of sharing a joke with one of the other players and, and, and he didn't like that at all yeah, um, it, was, it was Grigor wasn't it, it was, he, was, yeah. he was kicking the ball around the Grigor before the, they, they played each other which uh, rightly demonstrated that Grigor really needs to work out like how to play his uh, his friend Roger, but anyway, that, 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 and the, in the instance of, of, of Rafael Nadal today, 
Uh, I, I'm sure he'll be pretty an- annoyed that uh, people are getting access to information about him from the warm-up room. Yeah. In terms of the match itself, Hatchinov showed me something that I'd not seen before. I mean, an incredible heart and a real determination to mix it with one of the big boys because he'd never won a set against any of the big four before today. And he won the first set... And he didn't go away. That was what was really interesting to me. Is he okay? He, you know, there's probably some big points that he lost, which ultimately cost him the match. But he just kept on coming back for more. He was a Goliath out there, and boy, can he move! Well, it was a four-set match, but what was it? About four hours, ten minutes. So every one of those sets was an absolute dogfight, and he went for it, didn't he? That was the other thing. He's very brave in the way that he played. He he upset Rafa because Rafa was clearly not moving at his best so he felt very anxious because he couldn't uh, keep up with the, the, the pace and the depth that, that Kachanov was throwing at him and the variety which was impressive too and then he got tight again at the end didn't he Rafa because he served for the match played a terrible game ended up having to do it in the tie break on the fourth set so it's just the level to which uh, Kachanov was going pedal to the metal that, that upset uh, Rafa made him feel unnerved on top of the physical issue that he had but uh, yeah I mean I think you're if, if you're looking at your overall predictions for the tournament Novak's uh, uh, odds must be coming down and Rafa's must be going up I know but I've picked Nadal to win the title well, I picked Simona Hallett to win the title so <laughs> it's going well me out of it <laughs> oh, brilliant so what else has happened today quickly you've got to go and get your bus but just very quickly before that uh, we had Sloane Stevens beating Victoria Azarenka she's looking increasingly the, the real deal well what I was impressed by was a celebration because normally you, you've got no idea whether she's won or she's lost when, 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 if you come into the, to the court they're shaking hands like, she's so impassive and languid but this time she, this, this, this multiple fist pumping roar then she waved to the crowd and shook, uh, um, did, uh, did she do the handshake after that so maybe she did the, she did the fist pumps then she shook hands, and then she did another bunch of fist yeah, pumps. Yeah, that was right. I mean, like that was like as much emotion from Sloane Stevens as she normally lets out in the course of an entire tournament, and uh, like an entire slam. And, <laughs> yeah, she, and, she, right. and she let it out in two minutes. Now, to me, that's really interesting because it's like she's beginning to admit that I really care about this. I'm defending this title. I'm not going to let people take it off me easily. You know, Azarenka played decent level without being quite uh, at her most deadly, and and. Particularly at the end of the match, the final game, Sloane was, was really attacking again. I mean, she doesn't always bother with attacking, does she? Sometimes she just soaks up pressure, soaks up pressure, lets you make a mistake. But she went for it. And so those two could meet the Serena and Sloane, couldn't they? Is it a quarterfinal, potentially? Yeah, I think so. I need to check the draw. I'll, I'll come back on in a minute and check the draw, and, and I'll have that for you. Just last one before you go, Simon. Uh, the Mohamed Layani situation today, he was back in the chair and the USDA released a statement this morning saying that he is, uh, you know, he, did, he didn't follow protocol, but, you know, the, the, the words exemplary behaviour in the past were used uh, and, and basically they're, they're letting him off, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fine. Um, I think he overstepped the mark. I think he knows it. I think everyone knows it. But, uh, yeah, he's been doing this for a long time. He's very popular. He's been a very good umpire. I don't think it changed the... the Popularity relevant? Um, well, I think, I mean, umpires, there's a human element to what they do. It's not just... I mean, I, I read a piece today saying umpires are not robots, you know. They, 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 have, they have feelings too. People have feelings about them. They are involved in the match in some way, one way or another. You cannot take them out of the match. Um, I don't think he was solely... Uh, uh, 
the person that, that was that won the match. You know, Kyrgios won the match. Okay, he might have needed a bit of a, a slap around the face. Perhaps it wasn't right that Lyoni should have provided it. But you know, it's the interest of the tournament at the end of the day that Kyrgios is playing Federer tomorrow night. Is it in the interest of the tournament and the sport that we are questioning the uh, fairness uh, of an umpire? Given that, I mean, the bloke that he didn't give the uh, talking to ended up losing from a winning position. Well, as you know, David, uh, I, uh, I tend to think that a story is always good news, for, for <laughs> no matter what it is. Uh, something to talk about, I'm happy. <laughs> All right, so go and get the bus. I'll come back on in a minute and find out more about what's going on. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, now I'm in the press room and... Juan Martin Tal Potro is currently playing, and I've got nobody to talk to in person. However, I'm still joined by Catherine Whittaker. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, we're, we're recording remotely now because Karen, Catherine's just put in a 14-hour day, and, and it was a bit much to ask her to expect her to stay all the way to the end of the, the Del Potro match when she's got to be back in work in the studio at about 7.30 in the morning. So here we are, but we're still together, and we're still having a chat about tennis. But... Really, uh, I was talking to Simon Briggs there about the, the slightly disappointing feel to, to the match, at least, the, the way the result went for, for Venus and Serena Williams. I just wanted to know, did, I mean, did that surprise you? Did you, did you think we were going to get a barnstorming match? No, I, I didn't. It, maybe it surprised me that Venus didn't get a couple of more games. It surprised me that Serena was that good. Um, and it really made me realise how... how by her very high standards how relatively poor she was at Wimbledon really in all honesty she was she had a favorable draw she 
guts her way through an awful lot and she got exposed by Angelique Kerber in the final, I think. But this is a completely different kettle of fish. I mean, Venus said this is... You might already have gone over this with Simon. Venus said this is the best she thinks Serena's ever played against her. Wow. No, they, we didn't. We, she, we were before the press conference. She That's said that in press and they have played 30 times. Wow. Um, going back to 1997, they've played 30 times and she said it's the best ever. So... Yeah, that that tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is extraordinary. I mean, and and actually, Serena said herself, didn't she, that this is the best I've played since since I've come back. And I mean, I think that that oh, was by a, fairly by a obvious. Country but, mile, yeah. But that's some quote from Venus, isn't it? Cruel oh, dear. And I, I I can see where she's coming from. I, I, there haven't been many sort of beatdowns in that rivalry at all, have they? You know, there've been the occasional relatively comfortable win, but I mean, that was a. That was a total blowout, really. Yeah, that was the it was the joint least close match that they've ever played. There was one of the same scoreline in Charleston in 2013, I believe. Um, that stat courtesy of Stu Fraser, Simon's great rival. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it it, it was a beatdown. Absolutely, it was a beatdown. Um, then more about the occasion and the whole process of trying desperately to, to fathom the emotion that's going on rather than about forehands and backhands and a great thrilling match. It's it's drama, isn't it? It's about every when you're seeing them on the court and sort of mentally going back through all the archive footage that you've seen. And it's about reminding yourself that they... They and the family probably are the one of the greatest sporting stories ever told. If somebody, you know, wrote it all in a movie script, a producer somewhere would probably go, "No, mate, that's too preposterous. <laughs> no, no, it's too ridiculous. That that yeah. could couldn't happen." Um, so that that's what their matches are about for me, rather yeah. than any any kind of incredible tennis matchup. I mean, yeah, th- there's no clash of styles, for one thing, and that, generally speaking, makes for the better matches. Um, mm. But what did, yeah. you, what did your... Um, I've spoken to Simon about the Nadal-Hatchinov match generally, but what, what did your team and you... I mean, it's, it's so different, isn't it? You get a different vantage point. I'm up in the commentary box up high commentating on Five Live. I was with Naomi Brody, and uh, Simon's down in the press room, probably in and out. Sometimes they've got an amazing set of seats, haven't they, courtside? You sometimes see them sitting just behind the players. And then you're you're in the studio. You're often with Daniela Hantikova and, and Greg Rosetsky and one or two others. What What was the feel... And the the kind of scoop from your side, what did you think was going on? Goodness me. Well, to, to pick out one overall feel from four hours and 22 minutes um, is is quite difficult. I mean, I, I, it feels like... Well, it, it, feel, <laughs> it feels facile to say it's a breakthrough moment for Karen Hatchinov. It's more than that. It feels like... It feels like the making of him. It feels like a match that I can see him looking back on in 10 years and saying, I'm glad I lost that match because it, it made me who I am today. It felt like that kind of match. It reminded me of um, Leighton Hewitt against Andy Roddick in the quarterfinals here in Ooh, 2002. Um, and I remember Andy Roddick going absolutely bananas uh, about an overall by George Diaz. I even yes. remember who was in the chair. That was how much a tennis nerd <laughs> I was. Where was George, where's age George 16. Diaz these days? I don't think we saw a lot of him after that match because it was pre-Hawkeye. And I remember the replay showing us vividly that it was one of the worst overalls of all time. 
Um, and I think it was in visor wearing days for Andy Roddick. And I just remember a bevisored Andy Roddick going absolutely bananas. <laughs> but anyway, he came back the next year and he won it. Um, and yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying Karen Hatchinov's going to do that, but he certainly showed me something today. I'm not sure was there. I saw him as part of that talented crop. I saw him as maybe or quite probably a top 20 player, but I now am revising those expectations yeah, upwards. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite exciting, actually, Del Potro Vadasca. I'm just sort of hoping that it... I mean, as much as I love an epic, I mean, we've had enough epics today. And, and uh, I mean, Serena and Venus was quite quick, but it is about 11.30 at night as I speak to you, and I'm sitting in a, in a little radio room. Anyway... Um, do you? Uh, I agree with you, incidentally, about about Hatchinov. That that made me look at him in a different way. I, I've sort of, I've ne- you know, I've never been that impressed. I've always been hugely impressed with his movement, but just the way he hits the ball, I've often thought, technically, it just looks like you could get at him. And today, his technique really stood up. You know. Oh crikey! I mean, the guy, the, the, the he's he's got one of the biggest serves on tour, and the guy was at eighty percent first serves in for for the um, for the first set and a half, and I think he was he was uh, over seventy percent for the match. I think or sixty nine percent maybe, um, and so I think technique on the serve is is has got to be pretty sound. Um, to be serving that well, that consistently. Um, yeah, I agree with you. And I, th- I remember Mats Verlander um, picking out a few holes in his game technically a couple of years ago um, a- and pointing to the fact that he was it, he, it was kind of a game too specifically built and tailored for clay. Yes. Um, but um, he's definitely made some adjustments. He's brought on uh, Goran Ivanovic's old coach, hasn't he? Um his name escapes me for the moment, David. Perhaps as resident it, Croatia correspondent, you can help me. Is it? Oh, oh, was it? Um, it's a very Croatian-sounding name, if that helps. Oh, I know him. No, you're right. You know, I was going to say it's Ricardo Piatti, but it isn't. It's, it's not. It's no, chap, no. I think his name is Vedran or something like that. And uh, and he, he is. I've never seen him coach anybody else except Goran Ivanisevic about 20 years ago and, uh, and Karen Hatchinov. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's him. It's him, and he—he he, he definitely seems to have. Um, look, you know, we're on slightly dodgy ground when we start talking about the technical stuff. But if I can see a difference, then then there has to have been there has to have been a difference made, some tweaking. And you know, look at him—the guy. He's looked about thirty since he was seventeen. He's he's obviously physically up to it without did, question. Did it look to you and to people you were with that Nadal is in real trouble here? physically in terms of the rest of the tournament no i the people i was with and you know without being inside the mind of rafael nadal it is it's impossible for them to know as much as it is for me greg rosetsky uh, found it significant that nadal didn't request painkillers on the court um he thought if the knee was a real issue he would have been having painkillers um but then i suppose nadal maybe might not be wanting you know especially in the position he was in wanting Hatchinov to be seeing him taking painkillers who knows maybe it was you know a big game of bluff but um yeah I mean he, he quite often plays with those that that taping around his knees and it's it's it seems to be precautionary as much as anything so I don't know time will tell four hours and 22 minutes of absolutely grueling tennis um 
could take its toll but i don't think there's any alarmism going around mm. i'd say there's more alarmism about where he's standing to return serve and i know yeah. the courts are pl- the courts are playing slowly this year everyone's saying it um it, greg actually suggested that they'd done that to try and help john isner win um, which seems like a, a long shot Sounds <laughs> to me. ever so slightly far-fetched. I don't mean to... Yeah. I think so too. I, I think so too. But anyway, that's, it's an interesting hypothesis. But yeah, I know everyone's in agreement that these courts are playing slowly. But I've never um, seen anybody it, stand back that far, ever. No, I mean, and he was exp- he's leaving him. He's, he's, he's gambling on the fact that nobody's going to be able to bully him from back there and overpower him. Um, and... And Hatchinov proved that it's proved that it's possible, and I think others that he may face. And let's face it, he does have a good fourth round draw in Nicolas Basilashvili. But beyond that, um, uh, others will have watched this match, and I think we'll see a chink, maybe. And <laughs> a chink may not be enough, but I don't know. I think it will give others hope. Nicholas Basilashvili is the next one he's up against. Yes. I mean, you know, he's a good player, not the worst drawer in the world. Uh, and then it's either team... I think they played in Paris last year and Basilashvili was, you know, barely getting points, yeah. let alone games I on remember the board. that one. And I mean, that's clay, but still. Then it's team or Anderson. Just just quickly, on, on Anderson, he beat Shepovalo 6-4 in the fifth. Did, did you get the same feeling about breakthrough... Uh, performance from Shapovalov as you did for Hatchinov today? No, because he's already had his his moments, hasn't he? he he's Before today, everyone knew that Denis Shapovalov was a, a absolute bare minimum, a top 10 player in the making, you know, in, in waiting. Most people wouldn't have nailed their colours to the mast about Karen Hatchinov. Um, in that regard before today but I think most are so I don't think there's any turnaround in you know this is a guy that that beat Joe Wilfred Songa after after as as a qualifier last year so and Songa was you know Songa was playing well this time last year so it it's not the same for me even though Shapovalov is significantly younger than Hatchinov still well and always will be but you know what I mean so that's today. What about tomorrow, Saturday, middle Saturday? I, I tell you what's really interesting, Catherine, is the fact that Nick Kyrgios against Roger Federer isn't the night match. I mean, we were all so sure, weren't we? I mean, it's got sort of night session under the lights written all over it. But I, it seems, and we got a, a message from our good friend and pod guest favourite, Mary Carrillo, telling us that uh, the reason for it is because of a massive, great, big college football game that's uh, on at night time, and therefore you can't clash with that. Ah, well, I did notice that Venus versus Serena was bumped onto ESPN2 for college football. Now, I know that things are different over here, and college sport is a really big deal, but can you imagine, like, Andy Murray <laughs> against <laughs> Roger Federer being bumped off for a university um, hockey match. <laughs> no, yes. sorry, this will be moving to BBC Two because Loughborough against uh, Brunel <laughs> is, is is about to start. Red uh, button, no. red button for that one. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, that's. What, I mean, it is a weekend, isn't it? I kind of forgot that. So maybe. 
day session for US audiences is actually a bigger deal. And That's obviously, right. yeah. it's better for European audiences by far that it be during the day. Yeah, um, in the it's old gonna days. Be, it's going to start, you know, approximately 7 p.m. UK time, which is brilliant. I just thought, I, I just can't can't quite picture that match not occurring under floodlights. No, I, I and actually, I, th- I think it could well end up being a much lesser match for it. Uh, mm. I, I, I may be wrong, but it just feels like it should be a night match and, and have that stage. But Weirdly, I think it favours Federer, even though we always say that if Federer plays better at night than during the day, which oh, I he agree does. With you. Yeah, I um, mean, it, it, it's that, that is the case, but times 10 for Nick Kyrgios. Yes, if you can keep Kyrgios down and not excited, you've got a better chance of beating him. And uh, that said, you know, he's always produced against Federer, hasn't he? What do you think is going to happen? I think he's going to compete his ass off, David. <laughs> I think it's going to go four sets. There you go. Yeah, I think four with two tie breaks in there and Federer is going to win and it's going to be not quite epic, but really good. And really exciting and everybody will love Nick Kyrgios. He'll go off, everybody will applaud him, uh, but Roger Federer will win. Yeah. That, that's yeah, the gist and of what's all be forgotten. Before that, <laughs> Madison Keys plays Alexandra Krunic. Uh, Maria Sharapova against Yelena Ostapenko. I mean, that yes. is going to be high-octane tennis. Yeah, really similar games because um, for both of them, certainly at the moment for Sharapova, the serve is the weakness. Um, you know, I watched Sharapova against Castella last night and her serve was... It was horrible. It was really, yeah, she's all really over the shop, isn't she? all over the. I mean, Kistea should feel horrible about. I mean, she didn't even get a set last night, and she was. You just can't be missing returns when someone's you know serving that badly and clearly having the yips so badly on their serve. She just wasn't getting returns in play, and it's unforgivable in that scenario. So, provided Elena Ostapenko can exercise a tiny bit of self control in force herself to make enough balls, make enough returns and not absolutely redline it all the time. I realise that's a big if with Elaine Ostapenko. I think she ought to win because Sharapova is really far off. But having said that, she never lost a night match. Yeah, and she always goes after second serves and Yelena Ostapenko doesn't have a very good second serve. They had a good match not that long ago, I remember. I can't remember where it was, but anyway. And I think Ostapenko won, I think. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, Djokovic against Gasquet is after that. Louis Armstrong court is Burton's against Vondrasova. Sybil Kova against Kerber. That could be close. Oh, yeah, should be on Ash. Oh, yeah. Uh, Zverev against uh, Cole Schreiber. Zverev's being very quiet, isn't he? And I think that's to his benefit so far. Yeah. Lendl Lendl continues to terrify me on the practice court. Yeah. Kvitova against Sabalenka, even in session. Oh. Oh. That's that's annoying. Why is that on the same time as as, uh, Sharapova Rostopenko? I want to watch both matches. Yeah, I know. It's, well, at least it, we can watch uh, yeah. re- we can watch replays now on uh, on Amazon Prime. It it all Yay. works now, so well, no, yeah. we're all right. Still, still in my script, David. I've been oh, yeah. saying that all day on air. I'm good at this, aren't I? I should, yeah. <laughs> I should be your, <laughs> yeah. your partner in crime. You know, filling the gaps. Anyway, <laughs> Marin Cilic against Alex Diminor is after that. Um, oh yeah, there's loads of stuff going on tomorrow. So. Right, go and put your feet at Catherine. You've got an alarm call in about six hours. Um, and uh, yeah, more tennis tomorrow. Can't wait. Uh, this has been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with Amazon Prime Video UK, 
uh, the home of the, U- the US Open in the UK. And uh, Catherine's going to be presenting it all day tomorrow. Brilliant. Uh, we are also executive produced by Melanie Bowes, tennisballs.com, triple S. Our mascot is Charlie the Ferret, of course. And uh, we are sponsored by the Manga Club. See you tomorrow. 